All right, hello and welcome to the State of Sport Fishing. This is going to be episode number five. My name is Chase Nieder. Today we're joined by Alex Halsman, Leo Chapman, and special guest Chris Kubik of the Point Runner in Oregon Inlet. I'm going to shoot it over to you, Chris, and let you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm um, Chris Kubik. I'm captain of boat called the point runner out of the oregon inlet fishing center in north carolina uh, the point runner is built in 2004 by terry guthrie down in harker's island north carolina and um that's uh that's work for me that's home um in the winter time i do also run a private boat called the sea hag sometimes we're in florida sometimes we're in mexico but um that sea hag gets a green hulled boat right Yes, it's uh, like a seafoam color. It's uh-huh. a 61 Blackwell. Yeah. Got and they it. were just I, in uh, A&J. The boat looks great right now. We got a lot of work done. We, we were supposed to go to Mexico and spend our season down in Isla Harris, but with COVID and everything, we kind of got delayed, and the boss wasn't using the boat, so we talked to him about maybe doing some of our springtime boatyard stuff down there in Florida. So that's what we did. We went to A&J and got new covering boards, did some Fotique, did a few other miscellaneous things, but got her ready to roll it. I actually got the phone call today. I think I'm flying down to Florida tomorrow. We're going to do a late Mexico trip. Dang. Whoa. That's going to be late. Chris, have I seen that boat in Ocean City, Maryland, too? Yes, it is in Ocean City. It's it's over at Sunset on D-Dock in the summertime. Okay, yeah, I thought I'd seen seen you there. One you last question can. on the boat. Does, is that the boat that has like a little super small little tower on top? It did for several years and we took it off because nobody used it. And I don't know, I don't know how many times you'd have a mate up there and they wouldn't even be paying attention. So <laughs> we took it off. <laughs> What's, what was that tower for? You know, it, we, we kind of got to a point I, before I was on there, I felt like they thought they were at a little bit of a disadvantage with amongst tower boats with, as far as being able to see fish and stuff like that and having a tower man. And rather than putting a full tower on there, it just gave somebody a little bit higher vantage point to look for fish and help out. It's like a one-person tower. <laughs> the single-person tower. It's like a single-person tower. Get you up there a little higher. I'm sure it helped yeah. a little bit. <laughs> now it's a yard ornament. We don't. We're, we're not really sure what to do with it. <laughs> the, just use it as a table. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But all right. So looking forward. I mean, I know you guys said you were fishing out of Oregon Inlet today, correct? Yeah. So I fished out of Oregon Inlet today. Um, it was it was a little rough today, and the water cooled off a lot that last big cold front we had. The fishing was really slow. There weren't very many yellowfins. I did hear one boat got hit by the yellowfins at the very end of the day, probably right after I left. Um, but there was a few black fins around. It wasn't very much. Um, not what we're used to. But we've had some great days already this year and still got plenty more to look forward to. So, What, are, what have you guys called so far? Um, we started out, usually in March, I don't fish a whole lot. I'm usually in Mexico doing my thing down there and, might run a few trips most i've ever done in march is three days charter fishing but um i think today made eight or nine days already or well i guess this today's not march but uh, i think we ran seven or eight days in march um already and that was even with a three-week boatyard visit uh, so we started a new fitting uh, we had a pretty good 
week of bluefin fishing with some yellowfins mixed in, and that kind of slowed down and turned into more yellowfins. And the yellowfins haven't been huge uh, by any means, but we have days where there's been plenty of them. There's been plenty of boats that have caught limits of yellowfins already this year, and we, we really have a special place at Oregon Island. Our, our fishery is pretty special. I don't really know. We're lucky to fish where we do. So I, I've had the pleasure of fishing out of Oregon Inlet a couple of times. Can you tell the audience kind of what that's like? So what makes the Oregon Inlet fishing experience unique? Well, out of Oregon Inlet, we have the Labrador current, we have the Gulf Stream current, and just the way they converge, it creates a whole different dynamic. If we can run a little bit further to the south, we, we have like an area that we call the point, which is what kind of what my boat was named after. Obviously it was named before I bought the boat. It was, I bought it with that name. Um, but once you get down below the point, you're in more current, you're fishing more Gulf stream type conditions and you're dealing with current and blue water and flying fish. But the fish aren't always in the blue water. And sometimes you can get above that point area. Sometimes the, the Gulf stream does go above that, but you can get out of the current and have, conditions closer to what you would have in ocean city with less current and um you can have pretty water up there you can have green water sometimes fish are in green water sometimes they're shallow sometimes they're deep it's something different every single day and there's days when i'm you you can have phenomenal tuna fishing 10 days in a row and you go out there the next day thinking you're gonna have phenomenal tuna fishing and then all of a sudden you have phenomenal gaffer fishing and that's what we call the bigger dolphins in north carolina is the gaffers mm -hmm. um it's just something different every day. You never know what to expect. And it's pretty cool. So fish wise, you know, and time wise, like for the guys who don't know, when you're you're starting out in March, you got, you know, blue fins mixed with your yellow fins and then yellow fin season kinda comes in where it's mostly yellow fins. Uh what's your timeline normally? Like, you know, in Ocean City we used to switch over you know, pretty much two, three weeks, right? You know, right after the tuna tournament, we'd switch over to marlin fishing, you know. Right. And, then... and, and it's changed a little bit over the years. Um, when I was mating, I, I worked on a boat and we spent more time um, fishing some tournaments and hatters. And usually by the time we started fishing the Big Rock, which is the beginning of June, we were marlin fishing from then on for the rest of the year. I pretty much counted on putting a dredge in the water because um, we would have the big rock and then right after the big rock we would fish the Hatter's Marlboro that was when I first started dredge fishing I pretty much pulled a dredge every day for the rest of the year until October and um, that's kind of changed a little bit as the years have gone on I, I, now that I've bought the point runner we don't spend as much time down in Hatter's I'm actually, I will be fishing the big rock this year for the first time on my boat but um, so it, it changes so Usually in the springtime, we start out with the blue fins. We have yellow fins year-round. It just depends on water. If you have good water, they're, they're, you have a good shot at yellow fins. And we have wahoos sporadically throughout the year. Uh, I had a few wahoo bites today that we didn't get. And uh, then we start getting the gaffers. Usually we start out with bigger class of dolphins. And as the summer wears on, the dolphins get smaller. And we start bailing them and catching them limits of dolphins. Uh, and, and any time in the spring, the blue marlins start showing up and um, start getting a few whites and sails mixed in. And July usually kind of starts slowing down a little bit. 
but by uh, you know, was the mar- the mahi fishing picks up a lot in July, and then August and September were mostly mahis and marlins, and then as the uh, weather and water start cooling back off, October, November, we're back into tuna fishing, and usually there's a good week or two of wahoo fishing sometime in October. So you guys get pretty much everything. We do, and we have a really cool year-round fishery. We don't get a whole lot of charters in the wintertime. Usually they, they're pretty much died off after Thanksgiving, but I was just, there's been plenty of days where people have gone out there in December and January and, and caught pretty catches of yellowfin tuna. I was just about to ask you how it is fishing out of Oregon Inlet with the weather there and that inlet being notoriously dangerous, obviously, but... Does, is it tough to battle the weather being a charter boat out of Oregon Inlet? And what makes the the inlet so dangerous? Because you got to understand, for people who are listening here don't don't know about that. So most inlets on the East Coast have jetties. We don't have any jetties, so our sand is constantly shifting, and with all the current and stuff we have, and the wind and everything, if you look at the way the outer banks are shaped, you know we're hatters and everything. We stick out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, we're not, you know, where a lot of places are a little bit more tucked in. We're not. We're, we're exposed a lot more. So the water and the currents move the sand around a lot more. I mean, sometimes they move them on a daily basis. So, and sometimes we're dealing with it out there on the inlet on the outer bar. And some days it's in there closer by the bridge. Some days it's the channel where our marina's at. Um, you know, that. so the, that's the most stressful part of my day is, getting in and out fine and after that the fishing just kind of takes care of itself but the inlet the weather and everything it's it it can be challenging at times and there's days you gotta go as as a charter fisherman you gotta go on days that you probably wouldn't go and where private boats don't want to go and don't go so we end up having to fish a lot more days just because of that it's gotten to the point now for me where in the wintertime i really with the way the fishing is and, and the weather and stuff, it, it's not worth it for me to stick around and try to go run a ton of bluefin charters because the weather's going to get you most of the time. And I'm, I'm very lucky with my boss on the sea hag and I, I can go somewhere warm. Do you have to have more uh, fair weather clientele, I guess I should say, because it's not like you're going, like being a, a, a charter fisherman here in South Florida, you know, you can always turn around. It's not a big deal, but be, uh, yeah. your clientele well, there is a little yeah, bit more seaworthy, I'm assuming. Well, hey, we, it's different all the time. You, you never know. You get charters and you get people who you would think would get sick and, and they don't. And they're fine and their kids down there and they're laughing and they're having a good time. It doesn't even bother them. We're all nervous for them the whole time. And, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you know, I, if it's going to be a marginal day and I, and I think it it's going to be sporty a lot of times i'll i'll leave it up to the chart like look guys here's what it is it's going to be rough we know that you know i know you got kids or you might have your senior parents or something like that and it's like we can do whatever you want if you want if you don't want to go today and you want to wait till another day we can do that if you want to still try it we can do that you know if it's too bad we can turn around i used to further than florida but we can turn around too i used to hear the stories of uh you know, when, when guys would untie their boats, wait for a boat to go past them, they'd sit there with the boat just in neutral, and then as soon as someone would go past them, they'd pull out right behind them and then fall them out the inlet. 
you know, and then there'd be yeah. a, a line of guys. Are you usually one of the guys leading, or? Well, so the first year I bought the point runner, yes, I, I, I was big time into leading. And it wasn't because of anything other than the fact that we started using light bars on our boots. And the light bar blinds whoever's in front of you. And I kind of like to be able to use my light bar, especially when I was new. That way I kind of see more than just with a spotlight showing a single beam in front of you. It lit up such a broad area. So I like to use my light bar. And then once I got out in the inlet, it was really nice to be able to use my autopilot because one thing that we do here at Oregon Inlet for the most part is we get in a line and it's not, you know, some days we can't help it. There's a few different lines of boats, but a lot of times we're fishing the same general area. We all get in the line and we follow each other all the way out to the fishing grounds. That way you're not riding in boat wakes the whole time and you're not uncomfortable and miserable. So, so in the beginning I did a lot of leading and I still do. Um, sometimes in the early season when the, if I haven't fished a lot and the inlet's moving around and I'm not, overly familiar with it i'll follow boats out but it just depends on how much i've been fishing i I like to be one of the first ones out i like to be leading the way i've i've heard a lot of a lot of people say you know if you if you fish out of oregon inlet you've had more than one scary experience you know on the usually they say it's on the bar but what i mean do you have any that come to mind where you're like you know there's oh shit moments you know it's I haven't had any really awful ones like some people have. I mean, there's boats who have sunk right there in the inlet in recent years, not a lot. There's boats who have been going in the inlet and they've surfed down a swell and it's actually turned the boat sideways and they had to go back out the inlet. And for the most part, I try to avoid situations like that. And I think it's going to be bad. I tend to not want to go. (laughs) I I can't blame you, but... To explain it a little bit better, the bar on the outside there, you know, this is where a lot of those videos that you see go viral online. A lot of those uh, videos come from the outside bar, if I'm not mistaken, and you're getting three and four, three and four footers. You know, it it may be calm on the other side, but these three and four footers are coming in. uh, You know, you're getting a, a nice little swell and they're breaking across this bar. And then you see everybody waiting and trying to time it, and that's where you're getting those videos, correct? Yeah, usually the three or four footers don't bother us too bad, but there's a lot of times they stack up pretty good. And what happens is you get outgoing tide, and so you got the swell coming in. You get a northeast wind or an east wind or something like that. So the swell's coming in, and then you got an outgoing tide, and it collides right there on the sandbar that's six feet deep, and. Uh, you know, that's where you get those videos, and it stacks up, and it gets big, and you do have to time it. And, and we've had plenty of mornings where we're sitting there timing it, trying to go out in the morning. And we, we do have it coming in in the afternoon sometimes, too. But usually in the morning, it's dark, and we bring that upon ourselves. Leaving it it's all, it's also not uncommon that people run run their, the, their wheels to the ground, right, because it's so shallow? Yes, it does happen a lot. I mean... A couple of weeks ago, I was heading to the boatyard, and there was a boat coming back in the inlet, and he went right past our marina and was going to Pirate's Cove, and he didn't make his turn properly, and he ran into a sand, you know, ran right up on the shoal, and Coast Guard had to come drag him off. It, it happens quite a bit, especially people who aren't familiar with the area or if you don't have 
a certain level of respect for the area. I mean, even myself, if I haven't fished in a couple of weeks or something, or even in a few days, I want to follow somebody the first couple of days until I, I see it for myself and I feel better about it because it, it, it can hurt you. To get, a, to get away from the inlet a little bit, um, you guys, you on the point runner you do, I know the Sea Hag you know, was right down for me when I was docked on D-Dock last year, but I thought I saw the point runner there too, correct? We were. Um, I came up there for the tuna tournament last year, and I also came up for the Mid-Atlantic. Um, and I'm bringing the point runner up for a bunch of tournaments this year, so I'll Pretty much all the Ocean City tournaments, except for uh, the Huck Big Fish Classic. So um, I'll be up there for the Ocean City Tuna Tournament. I, I think I'm going to fish the Jimmy Johnson Atlantic City out of there, and the White Marlin and the Mid Atlantic all out of Ocean City. Wow. Will you run? Will you run charters out of Ocean City at all, or will you not have I, I time? I might do a couple in between, but for the most part, I'm going to be pretty busy and doing a lot of running back and forth i mean i'll get done with the tuna tournament and then i'll have a few days in between that and the jimmy johnson and then after the jimmy johnson's done i got to run right back down here to north carolina for the dare county boat builders tournament and then when i get done with that i got to run back up there to ocean city for the white marlin and i'd like to run a couple charters before the white marlin open i think there's a ladies tournament before that too that i'd like to fish just to get some practice and warm-up days for that and then I get done with the White Marlin. I'm going to run back down here for the Pirates Cove tournament. I'm going to get done with that, and I'll run right back up there for Mid-Atlantic. So I, I got a busy tournament schedule this year. That's, a, that's always a good thing, but for to that yes. note, if someone wants to get a hold of you to charter you, how can they reach you? Um, the best way is Facebook, Instagram. That's where I do most of my stuff. My, my actual website is not currently working. It's crashed. Or call my cell phone or text me. Texting is probably the easiest. Uh, you know, 252-489-9164 is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Gotcha. The, uh, you know, this brings us to, I've never gotten the chance to fish Oregon Inlet. I don't know if Alex, just if you Just a few times. Just, um, just a few times. Leo, I know you said I, you did. The first day we got into Oregon Inlet. We ran aground, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and uh, don't worry, everybody yeah, does. Yeah, if you don't, yeah. And, and I actually have a couple of funny stories. Um, then Captain Butch Cox, at the time he was running the wound up, he had to come and guide us through the channel, and uh, so that was fun. Um, Butch actually ran our boat when we were there, and I mean, my my experience with Oregon Inlet was that it wasn't that bad. Um, I guess it was a good time when we were there. Um, it was really cool. I loved right. the experience. To be honest, the, the, it was definitely one of the most unique places I've ever fished because, one, you leave super, super early. I was used to kind of South Florida, Dominican Republic, the Caribbean area, where you'll leave at, I don't know, 5.36, whereas there you leave at, you know, 4.30-ish. And then another thing that, was, that, was, that I thought was really, really cool was um, the prayers in the morning on the VHF. Very cool. Amazing. Yes. Now, I'm yep, that was something that was started a long, long time ago, and it, it continues on to this day. That's right. I actually had the I chance mean, when I was uh, helping deliver a bayless boat out, in and out of that inlet, so I had the chance to go in and out of there a couple times and fish out of there a couple times, and uh, 
it was pretty sketchy each time. It was a big boat that we were building, so... But I love the feeling of fishing out of Oregon and that you're just kind of right in the heart of the Carolina custom boat building community, too, with Wanchies being right there and all the guys who are building right there. You see a lot of cool boats running around, a lot of history there, and, of course, the prayers on the radio. Were, who is, who, uh, who says the prayers now, Chris? I know Omi Tillett used to say them, but uh, he's... You know, it's not a set person every day. It kind of changes, and there's some guys who say it more than others, but it's just really whoever steps up and feels like it, or sometimes somebody will just nominate somebody. um, It kind of keeps it fresh, and sometimes we have like a little prayer list. We keep going for whether it be people in our community or people who we know who we want to lift up. um, It's really neat. It's really special, and it's something I enjoy, and it was nice – a couple of years ago, I was fishing some of the uh, Stewart tournaments, and, and I heard them doing that in the morning down there, too. It made me feel like I was at it's home. Good Captain culture Wink. to have there. Captain it's a camaraderie to do that. That's just a great culture that should be done everywhere, in my opinion. Alex, a quick question for you, just yeah, from my understanding, sure. because I have never experienced it. When you said you were delivering a Bayless, and the inlet was very sketchy at times, what do you mean with sketchy? Do you mean that it was very shallow yeah, well, and you were was, nervous, or was it the waves that was made it sketchy? Uh, no, we had fair weather for the most part, if I recall correctly, each time. But, I mean, a couple times we just decided not to go out of it. Like, uh, this is the 90 Bayless, the Hull 19 I'm talking about. Uh, we ran actually down to uh, Moorhead City to go out of that inlet just to do some sea trialing and a little bit of fishing and but um, we didn't go out a couple times. We went in and out, I think. I mean, since then, I'm sure the boat's been in and out several times. But this was before the the new bridge, which I'm sure Chris is familiar with. This is when they had the old bridge, so it was a little bit more narrow, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. The channel? Yeah, and it changed for a while there with the old bridge. There were times when it was too shoaled up to go out of the main spans. And we had to go run pretty far down the bridge and go to where the spans are not only narrower, but lower. I, I remember times where we actually had to uh, undo our riggers on the back bar in the morning and lower our riggers down and stuff just to make it underneath the bridge and lower yeah, our Yeah, so we were dealing stuff. with that type of uh, – we didn't have that kind of local knowledge. I mean, we did sometimes – John Bayless would usually come out on his little center console and kind of lead the way because he knows that inlet like the back of his hand. So, but yeah, it was definitely right. shallow. The dread, I don't, I'm sure the dread still does live in there, right? I mean, it was, it lived right, right outside the spans of the bridge. Not as much as we need yeah, them. It lived right outside the, the spans at this time. And it was just really, I mean, you could, the sounder would show you 0.8, 0.9, one foot, 0.8. You're, yeah. Big brand new boat. It sometimes um, is just, uh, that sketch factor was up, up in the air. Yeah, that's that's why I got a, a long stretch of 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 on the west side of the bridge, where we got to run parallel to the bridge. We got that's what we got going on for us right now. Other than that, everything else is in good shape, but it's just that <laughs> one area. They got it and under control. When I talk about the inlet too, where we go out and stuff. If I was to follow my plot line from last fall, where we were going out during like the tournaments and stuff, Pirates Cove tournament. If you went out that way now, you could walk out. I mean, you run aground and you can walk home. The way we're going out now is totally different. It, it's crazy how that much it changes. probably requires the most local knowledge of any on the East Coast, I'd say. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody try to go in and out of here on their own without some kind of local knowledge. I mean, even when I was bringing the Sea Hag back last fall, it was a really foggy day, and I didn't have the current plot line in that boat. And I waited for a boat to help bring me through the inlet because it just I wasn't going to do it without having a plot line because there were no markers, there were no buoys at the time. We're just going off local knowledge. 100%. Yeah, where, where I'm from, we deal with a little mini Oregon inlet, a little the Jupiter inlet. It's kind of like a, it's the same same kind of moving yes. sandbar, moving boat. <laughs> yeah, so same kind of sketchiness, but a little bit more consistency to it than the Oregon inlet. Not to mention the water's clear, so you can see the bar sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I saw I saw a video the other day from uh, Jupiter inlet. And you know, 60, 64 foot boat coming through there, uh, idling, churning mud, and the depth finder read two point nine, or three foot. I mean, I was like, that wow. is. You could ask any scary. guys that are going in and out of the Jupiter Inlet on sport fish boats about the Jupiter Inlet. I'm sure they all have something to tell you where I came in at this tide and. I only had this much water beneath the wheels, and I mean, a lot of the best guys I know at navigating that inlet, they pin it until they get to right past Dubois Park there, which is just, I don't know, right where the no-wake sign is, just inside the inlet, and that's when they pull it back once you get around that sandbar. It's always been bad. But Chris, take us back a little bit to kind of, because I want to know more about like where did, did you grow up in the Outer, outer Banks? Um, did you grow up fishing there? No, I actually, um, I spent most of my childhood outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so I didn't grow up around water. I grew up doing mostly bass fishing and striped bass fishing. But my family's been going to vacation in the Outer Banks ever since I've been alive, ever since my mom was a child. So every summer we go out there and, or out here where I live now. And, um, my parent, my dad, and my uncles and my grandpa would go charter boats out and go fishing. So we kind of hung around the marinas a lot and, as we got older, me and my cousin would go fishing. We started out like doing the inshore stuff and headboat stuff. And um, I think my first trip offshore, I was 16 because I think I had to save up enough money to go. And um, I caught a white marlin my first trip offshore, caught a bunch of dolphins. And I was pretty much hooked after that. I, everything fishing, I ate it up. And that was kind of, internet was still kind of new, but I'd go online and check fishing reports all the time. Uh, subscribed to all the fishing magazines anything i could could take in from saltwater fishing i really wanted it I, I fell in love with it and as i got older i really didn't know what i wanted to do with my life i went to community college for a little while and i just didn't really have a direction and um finally i was like you know what i'm gonna move to the beach and try to be a mate and How old see what then? happens and so i did a load of Honda Accord with as much stuff as i could and drove out here and Showed up at the Oregon Island Fishing Center first thing in the morning and helped hand out ice. And anyway, got to know the guys. And, that's and how, how, how old were you back then? Uh, you know, I started a little bit later than a lot of guys. I was probably 21 or 22 when I started. And and how did you really so, get into guys, that? Yeah, some of the guys that grow up here starting their teens. My I'm bad. Sorry, how, and how did you get into that? tight-knit community I, I can imagine it must be quite daunting to kind of move in as an outsider and then to kind of make your way and earn your way into that Oregon Inlet support fishing fleet like how did, how did you do that well really it's all about just showing your desire and 
I, I showed up every day. I, I went to the porch in the morning. I was one of the first ones there. We, we kind of, where the marina is, there's a, a porch right there, and all the mates pull up with their trucks, and they load up ice for the day in their trucks. So I'd be right there and help load ice in their trucks for them and got to know the guys that way. And then if I wasn't doing anything that day, I'd try to find somebody to ride along with so I could learn. And, you know, I rode with as many people as I could. And then, you know, somebody who didn't show up for work or somebody needed a day off or whatever the situation might be, you were the familiar face and you've been riding along and you're just kind of like an apprenticeship. You kind of, you learn and you were the next one up and that's kind of how it used to be. But I, like I heard you guys talking last week on the podcast, it, there's, there's not a lot of guys who are sitting around on the porch anymore wanting to do it, and wanting to be the next one up it. We, me and a lot of the other captains and even some of the mates have talked about we, we don't really know where the next generation of mates is going to come from because they're not hanging out on the porch anymore and doing things the way yeah. that they used to be done hey could you tell the viewers sorry yeah. sorry leo um just the the oregon inlet i know is notoriously just as far as being a charter fisherman there is one of the most grueling jobs out of being a charter fisherman anywhere in the world so could you take us through like a week of fishing straight, like your schedule? You have you have seven charters in seven days. How does that go for you? Yes. Um, you're tired. I mean, it, we're not quite as gung-ho as they used to be before I was fishing. I mean, I, I hear people talk about doing like 60-something days in a row. I, I think the most I've ever done is 30-something straight days. And after a while, you, you just, you drive down to work in the morning. You don't even know how you got there. You're, you're so tired and you're just doing everything you can, but it, it's a grind. I mean, that's all you say about it. You are thrown into the wolves. I mean, most days you're in the middle of spring and summer. You could pull out 25, 30 rods a day. You might be starting out tuna fishing, and then all of a sudden you find a grass line and you're, trying to bail dolphins and then somebody catches some blue marlins and you're putting out you, you just always changing stuff and then all of a sudden you see tunas jumping and you put up the kite and it's a lot it's a lot of work and that's why some people say that mates from Morgan Inlet can go mate anywhere but just because they do everything on a daily basis there's so, so much stuff now we don't live bait like some of the guys in Florida so we don't have that background but you know, it's it's easy to teach mates who have been to Oregon Inlet. They can kind of pick up on things pretty quickly. I mean, that's where, when I first got in this and, you know, we talked to people, they were always like, Oregon Inlet, that's the spot. That's where the best meat, not hardest working the best meats. meats, but. Well, you think about exactly. it. Exactly. The, the mates. The way it's been explained to me working. by my friends that have fished on some boats there for a season or two seasons. Um. So, you know, you don't got much time to, to do anything but sleep. You're going out, you're fishing all day, you're coming in, you're getting ready for the next day, and by that time it's, you know, 8.30, and you got to wake up at 3.30, so you better eat something and go to sleep, and they better just keep doing that, so. I mean, when I, when I was on the Marley out of Ocean City, um, you know, the, the first meet that I started with, Mark Stevens, he did it all by himself pretty much and you know they'd fish 120 plus days a season out of ocean city 
sometimes. And, you know, at one point, I think they had a record before I got on the boat of like 68 days straight. They fished one time. Wow. Um, you know, and he was the only mate on the boat at the time. Now, he would get some guys to ride along here and there. But that's how I ended up lucking into it because he needed someone, you know, who could help out. You know, I wasn't necessarily going to help so much fishing because I didn't know anything. I was like, you, Chris, I bass fished. But I I can chammy, you know. I yeah. can I can wax. Um, but then when Mark left, we ended up running. Uh, we had three mates, myself, Michael Butler, and Dakota Bittner. And we ran a rotation of a couple days on, you know, two mates a day. And then every couple of days you get a couple of days off, you know, but okay. Mark, who's the captain, that man is in the summer. He's a machine. Like yeah, he, he's great. He's one of the nicest people we ever meet, but he shows up four fifteen every morning. Everything, all the rods were pulled out. Everything's ready to go. Charter gets on it like four twenty, four twenty five. And he goes downstairs, gives the exact same brief every morning. It's always funny. He makes everybody laugh. He's got a smile on his face. And then he climbs upstairs, and he doesn't leave the bridge all day long. And, yep. you know, he he moves on this time frame like an Clockwork. absolute machine. And it's, you know, I was always sitting there like, how is he doing this, you know, every day for so long? And he loves Charter it. Charter fishing, you know, a grueling job. Yeah. What, what's running your own charter, you know, like, um, Chris? What's running your own like charter that? business like? Because um, you got your own maintenance. Uh, sometimes it, it's the greatest thing in the world. Sometimes I wonder if I did the right <laughs> thing or not. <laughs> it, it, it's fun when you're fishing and you're catching fish and everybody's happy and then you have times where things are breaking on the boat and it just seems like it's never just one thing that breaks, it's multiple things. And all the while I'm trying to make boat payments and you know, when, when the expenses start adding up, you're like, man, is this, is this really what I want to do? You're like, it's kind of taking some of the fun part out of it. But at the end of the day, I work for myself and I love it and I make my own decisions and, it's fun. I enjoy it. I mean, that's the only way to do it is if you love it and enjoy it. Because if you don't, you're going to yeah, get burned out really it. quick. You love fishing every day, no matter where you're yes. at. If you're going to be a, a fisherman, you got to love it. You got to love what you're doing. Yeah. Everybody always says, you know, running your own charter nowadays or operating your own charter. If you're not fishing every day, you're not making money. Um, well, at least that's what I always heard. The way I have always explained it, and it doesn't matter if you're mating or if you're an owner operator or whatever it is, if you're not making money, you're spending money. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. You're working on a mate as a charter boat in Isla Maharis. If you're not fishing that day, you're going to spend money on something. So you might as well be fishing and be making money. I mean, the old, the old saying in Ocean City was if you wanted to start your own charter operation, and you wanted to make a million dollars doing it. You had is to that start is that two. true, Chris? Is that really true? Like, right. Is it not? Or are there? How do you run a profitable charter business? Let's well, get into like the business side of things, if you don't mind sharing. Well, it, it's a it's a tough it, it's a fine line 
um, for years out of Oregon, we've kind of always tried to keep our charter rates as low as possible. Um, and I've had to increase mine a little bit because my situation is a lot different than a lot of other guys. A lot of guys have owned their own boats for a long time. And the ones who are there who don't own their own boats work for somebody who isn't doing it to necessarily make a profit. Um, so my situation is different, and, and I really feel like the the people who are getting into it, the owner-operator, I, I feel like it's becoming less and less and will continue to be like that. Now, one of my good friends, William Howell, he just got his own charter boat. He's going to start running charters this summer. And I, I feel like he's probably going to be one of those last owner-operator charter boat captains out of Oregon Inlet, I think. That the way that things are trending is you're going to have somebody who owns the boat, just hires the captain to run it for them, and that's why you got some some of these boats now that are so much fancier and nicer. I mean, there's charter boats now that have sea keepers, and there's a charter boat now that has an <laughs> omni sonar. Obviously, for me being an owner operator, I will never be able to afford to do those things to put an omni on there to put a sea keeper if i'm gonna put a sea keeper on i'm gonna put a fat guy on one side of the boat and another fat guy on the other side (laughs) that works there's a fine line you you want to make improvements to the boat to keep up but you also have to try to do the smartest things with your money because like for me i'm i've got eight thousand hours on my engines now and I'm starting to think about, all right, I'm either going to have to rebuild or I'm going to have to repower here in the near future. And so you got to start saving up for that. And, you know, there's a lot to it. And sometimes it's extremely stressful, but at the end of the day, that's where my heart is. And I love it. And I, I enjoy working for myself. I don't necessarily like it when I fish all day long and I come home and feed my kids, put my kids to bed. And then I go back down there to work on some stuff that broke on the boat and then get three hours of sleep to go fishing the next day but you know that's part of it and those days aren't you know all that often they're far and few between but there are definitely days where i'm just like worn out from it but mm-hmm. it's great i love it i mean you have to but fishing out of oregon inlet there's there's two main topics that i think we definitely have to talk about and one was the inlet itself and the other one's going to be the sharks during tuna season Man, I don't even know where to begin with that one. There's been nothing done about the sharks since I've been fishing other than the fact that they close commercial fishing for them and they're protected and and there's not really much you can do about it. I've attended a fisheries meeting and I asked about them because the sharks that are giving us the most problem now are uh, duskies and sandbar sharks. And when I go in the meeting and I ask them about them, Oh, well, that, that particular shark, the Dusky or whatever it is, I can't even remember. It's protected till, I don't know, 21, 20 or something crazy. Like, way after I'm going to be dead, I'll be long gone. So they're protected. You can't do anything about them. Same thing with the sandbars. They're protected. You can't do anything about them. And then there's no commercial fishing for them. So what, what happens? I mean, the population explodes. And we're, we're seeing that in the Bahamas. We're seeing it in Florida. We're seeing it up here. And I know it's not as bad of a problem in Ocean City yet, but if they don't do anything about it, it's just working itself up the line. I mean, for a long time, we used to see a lot of hammerhead sharks. That was our main shark that we saw. And every now and then, you'd have a tuna get eaten by a hammerhead, and it wasn't that big a deal. We could deal with it. 
But now these new sharks that we have, these sandbars and duskies, they're pack feeders, and they're not always big ones. Sometimes they're huge. Sometimes it's a bunch of little four-footers. But, I mean, they follow the fish around. They follow the boats. They've got it figured out. And, I mean, there's days where I hook a fish on a long rigger, and, I mean, within 10 seconds, it's gone. And you don't even get the shark close enough to the boat to see anything because you just got nothing but mono flapping in the breeze back there. And without any help and them doing anything, I don't I don't see how it's going to change and get better. Our, our hammerheads aren't really around anymore. I mean, we see some, but not like we used to. And I've heard that now the hammerheads are bothering um, some of the guys up there in Virginia Beach when they're trying to live bait for white marlin. So it's, it's going to work itself up the line anywhere where the tuna population is. And there's boats consistently fishing for them. The sharks are going to follow in it. It's going to continue in that suit unless somebody does something. And right now, I, I don't see any help on the horizon. I mean, people talk about it. And I think hearing people talk about the shark problem is showing awareness. But at the end of the day, nothing's being done. I mean, National Marine Fisheries doesn't have any good data and science behind it. They're just protected. And, I mean, they have a couple longline boats that go out and do experimental sets every once in a while. And they don't really get any good, valuable data from it other than the fact that there's and a Is there something that we can do as individuals that instead of just raising awareness, we can actually take action? For example, I don't know. Is there like a form that we can sign up or? There. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I've, I, I was, I really hoped that some of these bigger organizations would would step up and try to do something. But to the best of my knowledge, I really don't know that there's any help on the horizon. There was a couple sitting. I mean, you got some of these environmental organizations that have way more money than recreational fishermen do, and they're getting millions of dollars donated to them by famous celebrities and it's kind of crazy i mean it just feels like we're we're gonna we're we're gonna lose i don't know sometimes you feel kind of helpless with it and i don't know where it where it ends or, or how it gets with it better is, but i think right now just talking about it and raising awareness i mean you look online and you see some of these forums on facebook sport fishermen fighting for marine balance and stuff like that it, it's raising awareness and it's helping and there have been stories in magazines and there's been stories in local newspapers that draw awareness to it and I, I think that's at this point as far as we can really get with it as far as i know um, unless somebody knows something i don't i'm all for whatever we can do to help out with the shark population problem is it gets swept under the rug the whole issue and with the world we're living in nowadays to people are in love with sharks and kind of just in love with everything there's a lot of tree the tree hugging culture yes. is alive and well so it's not like we could go out there and say let's kill a bunch of sharks which isn't what we're saying but there needs to be balance for sure no but there, there needs to be couldn't agree more and, i mean, I mean you, can't, you can't leave something with no predators out there to continue to explode in population i mean they're taking over areas where they're not normally at and they're running off the native sharks yep. that are supposed to be here so it's, it's we have the same situation problem. and we have the same problem here in south florida my friend it sucks to hear that it's making its way up and you're right ocean city ocean city and who knows even maybe up as far north as like the hydro 
hydrographer canyon, the Oceana Canyon. Like, who knows what could happen with the shark? Maybe someday. I hope. Not. Yeah, I hope it gets probably. taken care of before then. But it's going to continue yeah, it's, to keep I mean, spreading. It sucks. Just to put it in perspective, uh, I had a buddy fishing out of Oregon Inlet. They had a, I think it was either a 12 banger or, it was either 12 or 14 banger of big guys. You know, for anyone, that's badass. They caught two. Oh, yeah. And they weren't like 40, 50 pound big guys. These were 100 pound big guys. You know, for a shark to be squaring, you know, even a four foot shark, there's got to be a lot of them to take a 100 pound big guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the ones that we get close to the boat, the tunas that we get close to the boat, that we see them eating them, a lot of times you're looking down on the water from the bridge, and I'm seeing a bunch of sharks back there, and white water flying all over the place. It's They're very aggressive. They're pack feeders, and they have learned how to listen for boats or to follow those schools of tuna. I don't know which, maybe both, but how are they, they the know what's going on. Any billfish sharking problems? They have started eating a few billfish here in the last couple of years. I, I did hear of a few blue marlins get eaten by them last year, a few white marlins. I can't remember if I heard of a sailfish get eaten by them, but I, I know down in Florida there's Yeah, that's what's really discouraging for us is them. seeing the fastest oh. fish in the ocean not being able to get away from the 40 sharks chasing it, you know, and I mean, they fight hard too. Yeah. They don't. It's not like these sails are laying up on their side and they're done for. I'm talking about a green sailfish leaping out of the water going ballistic and being yeah. blown up on by a shark. I mean, it's interesting to watch, but it's also very sad. Yeah. It's interesting one time. My yeah. charters get one time, they're like, oh, that was so That's cool. That's the worst part about it is the charters, the, you like, know, the people from Indiana, they love it. They think it's awesome. Like, can we can we feed another one to them? I'm like, no. <laughs> no, we can't feed them another sale. Yeah. All right, now yeah, I mean, okay, we're done. I'm cutting you off. I'll just stop. I mean, I know you don't probably do any bottom fishing while you're fishing for tunas, or well, maybe you do when you're chunking and stuff, depending on where you're at. But I mean, we don't even bottom fish anymore. That used to be a go-to thing, you know, like oh, it's a slow day, the sails aren't biting, and nothing else is biting. Put the bottom rod down. But we don't even do that anymore. We just gave up on that because we get it. We do have that. We do tile fish a little bit in summertime. That's like our last resort. That's your backup plan if, if nothing else is happening. Or for me, sometimes I, that was my plan in like August, but our season's changed on that now and you can't really do it. But before in August and stuff like that, I wanted to go marlin fishing, but my charter wanted to catch some meat. So I was like, all right, let's go tile fishing. We'll catch some tiles so you have some food for dinner, but then let's go look for some marlin and go yeah, do some fun. So what fishing out of Oregon and that you get to see everything what what lights your fire you know what what is that fish that you're just like oh that you know when when that season's in it's, it's a little bit extra push you know what what gets yeah. you going I like action so I, I I can't really say that I have one thing in particular I mean I love tuna fishing when it's good I mean when we have good tuna fishing out of Oregon Inlet it's second to none I mean I know in Ocean City you guys get it some too, and I mean we're, there's days where we're catching limits of tuna in two hours, hour and a half, two hours. It, it can be really amazing. It's fun, and 
I love that. I, I like the kite fishing for tunas. That, that's a blast just because it's so visual. I like the visual stuff a lot more, which is why I really enjoy marlin fishing. And I guess because the first billfish I ever caught was a white marlin. If I had to pick a favorite fish, I'd probably say a white marlin because I enjoy catching them. And a lot of times there's numbers. And whereas a blue marlin, you might catch one a day if you're lucky. And white marlin, a lot of times it's not like that. You catch several a day or you can have these big days where you catch a rigger full. And it's a lot of fun. So I, I would say probably white marlin is my favorite thing. Gosh, that's perfect for being up in Ocean City. We hope it you. Is. That's why I'm really excited to be spending more time up there this summer. I'm not going to be there this year, so I hope you catch a big one. I gosh, I hope I do too. But we really appreciate it. I do have two final questions for you, and yes. final questions for everybody. Uh, I don't know how much you follow the live bait stuff, like the Quest for the Crest. Uh, you know, down here in Florida, but that's coming up and we're, you know, getting to the point where it's the final sale and this is going to decide who gets that, that title. Um, you know, last time for the triple crown in those Suenos, we did a little quote unquote wager on it. Um, so just for fun, we're just going to pick who we think is going to pull it off. And All right. I'll let have to go Leo, I'll let you start. Team Showtime. These guys, I They've showed us love since our app's beginning, and my loyalty is with them. So, Showtime through thick and thin. Showtime? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course, Showtime. I'm going to go with the fish on. They're in third place. They're local from around here. Nothing against Showtime. Showtime's an incredible live bait team. They've proved that again and again and again. Their captain's second and none, it seems like. He's got it going on, so... Um, but I'm going to go with the fish on. There's some, some real talent on that boat, and there's some real knowledge of that area also on that boat. So I'm going to go with them, see what they can do. Uh, me personally, I'm going to go. Um, I hate to do it, but i got to side with uh, Skip Jack. He couldn't be on here today, but he was going to go with the native well, we son, can't put so that guy I'm going to go either. with his bet as well. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be. I hope he's super happy to hear about it, but I'm going to go with the native son. And then, Chris, who, who are you thinking? I'm with you, Chase. I, I, I just have a relationship with a lot of the guys on the native son. I fished with a lot of them before, not all of them. And, I mean, let's just be honest, Art's been on fire this year. He, he's had a, a phenomenal year. And you can't I can never against, against that guy or, or the remix team or Showtime. Yeah, you. you they're, yeah, they're, they're all watch great. Watch out if they're out there. I always tell. Oh, it's gonna be fun to watch. Fun to yeah, watch I if you're on their boat. Could be good. I don't think it's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tell, I That's true. I forget. Maybe I did. I but, forget and, who it was. But one year they were hot like Art Sap, and I was like, "Stay away from me," because if you're gonna win, I don't want to watch you do it. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the last thing we always do is the highlight of the week. Um, you know, just something that we heard about or saw or did that kind of set our week off. You know, I know it's Monday, but we can go into last week. Um, but I'll start with Leo. Leo, what do you got for the highlight this week? It just has to be the podcast that we did with John Floyd. It was loved by everyone, and 
I'm super happy that we got to record it because I myself, as a boating enthusiast, I got to ask him all the questions that I had in the back of my mind since I was a 14-year-old kid. Um, so, yeah, everyone loved it. So that's going to have to be my highlight of the week. Uh, nice. Not a whole lot Paul's going on got. in the fishing world this week, it seems like. But uh, I'll give it to Jimmy David on the LNH down in Miami, catching 20 out of something like that. And I think he had two half days, so there was actually a little gap in between that. So he maybe could have stacked him up even more if he stayed out. But, uh, yeah, I'll give it to the LNH. I'm sure it won't be the last time that we do that. That's where I was headed as well. I mean, 16 in the morning yeah, half before noon, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. The and goat. made a kid and his customers. Yeah. Chris, you got anything interesting to throw out there? There wasn't much happening up here. It was blowing all week for the most part. But I'm, I'm with you. L&H all the way. Yeah, they're bad to the bone. I'm he sure owner-operator, all owner-operators around the world can well, appreciate the L&H. Sure. And not only does he kill at charter fishing, but that family, when they go on vacation, they go charter fishing with other people. They come up here and go fishing. They go all over. They are fishy people. And they're, they, they're very cool. They're very nice people. They get them everywhere, too. They do. Yeah. They're, they're One really last thing, good at Chase, I'm sorry. Do. I know you appreciate it, Chris. Something else about the LNH that I think a lot of other charter boats can learn from them is they always go and catch their customers' fish. The sailfish might be not very hot. They go do something else. They Always. don't sit out there and drag people through the blazing hot sun all day for one sailfish bite when they know they could go grouper fishing or amberjack fishing or whatever it is they're going to do. So that's I, I appreciate that about um, their charter business as well. Yeah, no, he's the man. Well, Chris, we really appreciate having you on. Hope you have a great yeah, season in Oregon. Guys, thanks for having me. We hope you have a great season in Oregon and, and Ocean City as well. And who knows where else y'all are going to fish. We'll start, we'll, we'll start seeing Chris in the like. leaderboards. <laughs> yeah. He, all of a sudden, yep. he's, he started popping up Yeah, last year in the tuna tournament in Ocean City. And I'll I was like, what the hell? They're known. supposed to be down in Oregon in that. That's the first time I've ever done the tuna tournament up there. Yeah, you had, you had Robert on the boat, Robert Harris. That's my man right there. He is the man. He he's fishing just about every tournament with me this summer. Awesome. And a couple of our local tournaments here, he's not, but all the Ocean City tournaments he's doing with me. He's a great. Thanks, Chris. Great dude, but Chris, thank all you. All right, guys. Thanks for it was nice in. to meet you. Hopefully, we'll see you around one Catch day. Catch you next buddy. week.